You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. (laughs) And we are back together again. It's been quite a few weeks and we keep doing this, but um, never fear. There will be a podcast (laughs) near. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) We are going to actually dive today into a topic we have talked about in the past, but we wanted to do a bit of an update because bloating as a area of health is something that we deal with so much at the clinic and we've done a complete podcast on it in the past and there's so much that has happened since then in the space of testing and just what we see anecdotally that we thought you know what let's have a chat about this today and talk about some of the updates that's happening behind the scenes with testing um, Carissa wants to also share where she's at and some <laughs> testing that she'll be doing that is going to be fun for us to bring to the podcast. And um, always with talking about this area, I think it's nice to talk about, of course, why it can happen and what we can do to potentially get in and treat bloating. It's a super duper common area of treatment for us and also something we get hit up about constantly, yeah, in the yeah. JCN clinic and I, on socials. Agreed. I feel like it's probably one of, apart if we're not talking about stools, I feel like it's probably one of the most prevalent GI symptoms that people would present with at the clinic. Mm-hmm. Like I think, yeah, nine times out of 10, if someone's got digestive issues, bloating is one of the things that they really want to resolve. Yeah, yeah. If we have with our forms that clients fill out when they come to us, it will generally in that area as far as their main concern. If it's gastrointestinal, it'll always have bloating, don't you think? It's yep. so common. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of people's major concerns because yep. it is such a physical symptom. Um, particularly, I know we've talked about as far as for women, as far as how they feel about themselves with bloating. It's a little harder to hide for women than it is for men with the clothes that women tend to wear. Yeah. And I feel like with men, it's just more a bit of a, an accepted thing too, isn't it? Like for women, we're always trying to like, you know, work on our bodies and wear certain types of clothes and wear gym gear and tighter things like you were saying. Yeah. And, you know, but for men, like, you know, there's definitely men that are, you know, looking after their physique and in shape. But I think it just becomes as men age a bit of a, a social I don't know, it's not, I'm not going to say it's not the right way to say it, like a bit of a just normal thing for boys that they're going to get a bit of a gut as they age. Yep. The Whereas beer for belly. Us, the beer belly. Whereas for us girls, we're like, we don't want a gut as we age. Like, what is this? <laughs> exactly. And then it's probably different. Like I spend a lot of time with my clients talking about what's actually normal too. Like, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's definitely gastrointestinal issues that can cause bloating. But I think too, there is a level of what is normal if as we age in terms of, you know, just the female physique changing, women that have had babies, obviously, you know, there's a lot of changes that happen there structurally. 
and things like that too. So, you know, and there's a little bit of the normal bloat that happens as the day goes on. So Exactly, exactly, which I know is a big one we've talked about mm. too, even in some of the lies we've done as far as expectations around bloating and having a flat stomach. But let's talk today more about chronic bloating. So just as a bit of a rehash, what we're talking about is a real distension of your abdomen. So it can be anything from as soon as you wake up in the morning, it's there through to it comes on after eating or it builds up through the day. But often what we'll hear is that you feel like you're anywhere from sort of six to literally sometimes nine months, <laughs> nine months pregnant. pregnant. It's like really distended, really hard to touch. There can be pain with it, a lot of gurgling, cramping, um, and then all of the bowel things that accompany it. But it's it's very much a full distension. Yeah. Uh, and some some people will say it feels like it's higher up in the abdomen, whereas others feel like it's lower down lower or down. it's just like the whole cavity is just like a big balloon. Yeah, like someone's just jacked it up with air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's the sort of bloating we're talking about. Um, as Carissa said, not so much. We're talking about like a bit of a inverted commas, like a normal little bit of a um, increase, fuller look to the gut after having a meal or by the end of the day. But let's, let's sort of start by just doing a little bit of a quick go over or rehash of the main underlying causes of bloating and the type of bloating we're just, we've just talked about. Um, and that's going to probably open up some of the new testing too that we're seeing. So do you want to maybe mention some of the causes that we see at clinic? Yep. Um, so I'll probably start like just even start upstream um, and just like... We're talking like when I always talk about like up upstream issues, I'm talking about like your upper digestive tract. So um, we're talking about just like what sort of kicks in with those digestive processes from the get go. So if you've got decreased hydrochloric acid um, or decreased, you know, stump, you know, stomach acid secretions, you've got decreased pancreatic enzyme function and, or decreased, you know, liver and bile secretion up from the get go, this, these can be massive upsets for the downstream digestion so if you're not breaking your food down um you know especially like your, your fats and all your fats your proteins and your carbs like if you've got any issues in those areas from you know upper digestive things not happening properly then that's going to probably be a bit of a cause from the get-go and then we move into the small intestine <laughs> and we have SIBO which everyone should be quite familiar with now although i do find myself at moment with jess and i were just saying this before we've got a lot of new listeners and a lot of new followers and i've definitely we've got a lot of new clients coming to the clinic who aren't well versed in what SIBO is so SIBO is an acronym for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth um jess and i did a podcast on this probably one of our first podcasts back in the day a few years mm -hmm. ago episode six <laughs> I love that you know what episode it is. Because I've had to send it to so many people. Like I've had all, I've had a lot of new clients and I'm like, I think you've got SIBO. Now, how much do you know about SIBO? And they're like, I've never heard of it. And I'm like, how? <laughs> but I think it's just that classic thing, you know, like we, we spent a lot of time really focusing on SIBO and talking about SIBO a couple of years ago. But since then, the gut microbiome world has evolved so much. And, and there's just so many more new, new and exciting topics that we get into. That, and acronyms. And acronyms. <laughs> that keep coming. That keep coming. Exactly. So SIBO, it definitely hasn't taken a back burner at all because it's still probably one of the most prevalent gut conditions that we treat. Mm -hmm. Um hands down i would say however it's definitely this one of the biggest causes of this hard distended yeah crazy bloating it. and also 
I would just highlight that connection between what you just mentioned in those two areas. Like if you have poor digestive secretion starting in the stomach or and or uh, within the pancreatic enzymes or bile, it often can be either a precursor to SIBO or a sort of nasty part of the cycle. So we know that as a precursor to SIBO, particularly poor hydrochloric acid secretions and then the use of things like PPIs as a medication can be classic precursors because you're not breaking food down as well and then you're getting increased fermentable substrates in your small intestinal tract which means that the bacteria that are there have got a lot more to party on so (laughs) you know there's even the two that you've just mentioned there's like this cyclic relationship between the two Mm. which is why there can be a lot of factors that are going on as to the cause of the bloating yep 100 percent. and i think um too like with the hard chronic bloat sometimes like SIBO can definitely be there even just like hardcore food intolerances yeah hardcore like it hardcore not just food intolerances but like hardcore Hardcore food ones Oh, I had this conversation with someone the other day, actually, like I just, I still feel like diagnosing gluten intolerance is such an interesting space because I just think, you know, we're still in this whole, if you don't have celiac disease, you don't have an issue with gluten. And obviously Mm. we know, because I had someone who wanted to, you know, come to clinic to talk about food intolerance testing and I, you know, explained to her that, you know, she wanted to know if she had an issue with gluten. I said, look, we can, I just don't think this would be worth spending the $400 on because it's not going to give you the answers that you want. Like if you've got some definite food intolerances, like we can do food intolerance testing for that. Um, it's not really going to pick up gluten because gluten we know can react on so many other levels. But usually, you know, you can, through your case taking, kind of work out if gluten is an issue for someone or if it's mm. other food intolerances, like, you know, and then mm. we can use testing if needed. But Again, sometimes it's come so much back to this bacterial overgrowth and what's actually going on more yeah. upstream and maybe just one or two actual food intolerances. That's it. And often what we'll do, not always, but I know uh, for myself, as far as the use of food intolerance testing, we'll tend to try and use that if it's going to be used a little bit later on. Yeah, like agreed. when you throw in that test right at the start, when you've got such a reactive gut, the test results for food intolerance testing can be so full on and just a whole lot of white noise essentially. So they they definitely tend to be better if they're going to be done after at least a good sort of minimum of four to six weeks on a gut to settle down inflammation and then to start looking. Um, But as you just said, um, definitely often you can work out a lot just through case taking and um, working with someone as far as reactivity and yeah. reintroduction of foods. I, I guess that old school sort of style of elimination, which when you're working with gut health, you tend to, and, and, t- and testing, which we'll look at, there's so much that you do with the way the diet is manipulated anyway, that yeah. you tend to take out a lot of common reactants. So as you reintroduce, you can figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, I know with some of my chronic cases over the last year, if we've used intolerance testing, we've tend to bring it in maybe like anywhere from two to three months after starting gut testing it's like okay now we can look at this and then it's actually been quite useful to pick up some of the um underlying hardcore yeah (laughs) hardcore Hardcore. yeah i always say at the beginning if you've got someone with a really reactive gut that wants to do food intolerance testing 
I feel like food intolerance testing, I feel like we're totally going off the topic here, but for, in terms of trying to work out what's causing yeah, bloating, yeah. it's going to muddle an already muddled picture. Yeah, yeah, and really create a lot of anxiety Around for the food. client, like when you have those results come back because they're just reactive to everything. And no matter how much you try and explain to a client, this is more about the state of your gut and the immune reactivity of your gut. They all they see is all those angry red lines on yeah. all those foods and just get really freaked out by eating, which is not a good state to put your client no. in. I'd much rather my clients blame their gut bacteria than their food because more often yeah. than not, it's the gut bacteria, the microbiome yeah. that need the work and the manipulation. And the food we just use therapeutically as something we can remove to ascertain, uh, you know, mm. a more, a more workable gut if that makes mm -hmm. sense or a better baseline and then we bring food back in like i explained i always explain like the reintroduction of the SIBO SIBO phases like all, mm -hmm. all the FODMAP diet as using food now as a therapeutic tool to yeah. refeed your gut microbiome and make your bacteria behave to a For degree sure. sorry <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll make them behave <laughs> <laughs> that's some really interesting chats about bacteria this week actually it's been quite a quite a, a, a bacterially gut driven week for me with clients <laughs> all my clients listening will know who they are <laughs> so then um the other area that we haven't mentioned is just as a quickie around causes would be lower down in the microbiome as far as the lower intestinal tract we realistically we've got the load of our bacteria so it's often referred to as dysbiosis if there's an imbalance or lebo instead of sibo for I haven't heard that for a while uh, yeah. <laughs> or the other one i would also mention that is a well it's new but not new acronym is emo which is intestinal <laughs> methane overgrowth so i have not as, heard of that oh love it love it what is it I again just, E instead of emo was in like wearing black it's yeah. with an eye emo yeah. intestinal me oh, methane oh, overgrowth gotcha, gotcha. so yeah the concept of this which brings us to some of I you know have... i think updates and testing is that when you do SIBO <laughs> testing an emo gut. <laughs> it's great isn't it i love it i love it <laughs> so good so good i reckon i've got an emo gut sometimes <laughs> which we'll talk about lately <laughs> So with, with, with this presentation, it's more about seeing overgrowth of methanogen or methane producing bacteria throughout the intestinal tract. So you might have a SIBO test, which is really methane dominant, but it tends to look a certain way when we look at the test from the presentation of the gas markers, um, which we won't go into in detail today um, for you guys, but essentially a test from a SIBO point of view, can be super methane dominant. But then if you did do lower bowel testing or stool testing, you can see methane dominance there because of mm. certain bacterial overgrowth. Mm. But even with a SIBO test, the way it presents, sometimes it can allude to like overproduction of methane throughout. So you know, know you're dealing with this methanogen dominance. And with that type of bloating, usually because of that type of gas, we see, a, a, I was going to say crap bloat, a crap load of, um, you know, ironically, but constipation is a really common yeah. picture that we'll see with that, which we'll, we'll pick up through case taking anyway. Yeah. But yeah, this, this type of bloating um, that comes with that chronic constipation often will come back, not all the time, but there'll be this high 
methanogen or methane ga gas production. So yeah. that's something else that we would see as an underlying cause. And it's pretty, like I explained to like a lot of my clients because I think there's a lot of frustration in the const the bloating let's just say the methane slash constipation slash bloating picture yeah and i know like it is it is one of the harder areas to treat for some people like some people you can just sort them out really quickly and you know they think you're the most amazing practitioner in the world because you've got their bowels moving they don't mm. feel bloated they feel clear in the head but this is not the case for a lot of really chronically, um, you know, chronic methane producers. Like, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, like not the not the humans, the the bacteria. But um, but like when you've got clients that are you do have a lot of you know this you know methanogenic overgrowth or an emo gut, that is you know it messes around with you know gut motility and peristalsis and you know it you know creates so much toxicity and you know lipopolysaccharide production in the gut. It is, it's a tough little nut to crack sometimes. Yeah. And it's not like we've just got a, a magic set of supplements. Like we've got the tests that can diagnose it and we've definitely got an amazing supplement toolkit, but that doesn't work for everyone in the same way. Mm. So sometimes it's finding that right click of supplements and how much LPS production is needed. And yeah, it's just, it's a really tough, I've had a lot of methane, methane clients of late. And I think, yeah, they'll all probably mm -hmm. be listening to this going, she's talking about me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but quite a quite a few and it's just yeah really tough nuts to crack where we've just got so sure. much methane overgrowth um and SIBO going on that it's just yeah it makes it really you know again we could say we're going off topic but I think it's definitely all related it it definitely makes these chronic cases of bloating harder when there is this underlying constipation picture because you're not clearing yeah. those endotoxins as well as the next person even if they've got like a looser bowel scenario they might be able to clear it more and yeah. because of the type of bacteria it is as you were just saying um with this this class of bacteria and really a lot of the bacteria involved in SIBO they do produce more of these LPS that Carissa just mentioned so these like inflammatory think of them as a little inflammatry compounds essentially that are going to their cell walls that sloth off the bacteria mm. sloth off i love that but <laughs> essentially it's like this in, increased toxin load that's being produced by these bacteria that you've got like way too much of that put this extra level of inflammation onto your gut so not only are, are these gases being produced that cause the bloating itself and cause the constipation but then you've got this toxin load that you have to deal with too that just makes you feel so crap and us trying to help with dealing with that load and reducing those bacteria and having an effect on them often means that it can kind of stir them up and re mm. re get those LPS um, levels stirred up even more which can make you feel <laughs> crapper at the yeah. start so there's like this kind of whole cycle that we have to work through um, which is really interesting when it comes to these chronic cases of bloating. And I guess I mentioned that because when we sort of st start talking about testing and how we can work with this, and even if people have tried to work with bloating um, in these chronic cases, they might find that when they start to try and push it, they can feel worse instead of better. And I think a lot of the reason is because of this like higher endotoxin load that yep. they're not able to shift and clear for one reason yeah and i think the interesting thing is like even just talking about all of this now like 
I know like you'll, I think back to clients that I had, you know, maybe three years ago or four years ago and we just, we were just starting to have this, you know, insight into this knowledge. Do you know what I mean? And just mm-hmm. how much our learning as practitioners has evolved now that we understand more about lipopolysaccharides and we understand more about what methane producers do and they're, you know, they're more, it's systemic gut effects, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like just, For sure. yeah, and things like that. And you kind of look back, I know I even look back to a couple of my clients where, you know, we definitely got great results, but there was this one thing that you just couldn't resolve for them. And you're like, if I knew what I know now about these producers, like, and I could have mm-hmm. given you that supplement would that have been the one thing that you know could have got that last result for you that we couldn't get four years ago or five years ago because we a didn't have the supplement or b didn't have the information or yeah so i just think you know our original podcast on SIBO you know we we knew so much but now we know like so much more so. yeah as more and more comes out for sure yeah. can i just also highlight that that is why i love our as a practitioners at JCN, what you just said, like that we still think about clients from four years ago. I know. Like, mm. I'm just, I literally have just one like shows client how in my head. We are. I know. I literally have one client in my head. I don't even know if she still like listens to our podcast or whatever, but I just remember she was the one person I could not get bloating to shift for. Mm. And I just think, you know, like I, we got her bowel motions good. I can't remember if she was methane, but we got a period back. She never had a period for like for years. Like we just did, we got so much right. And there was just, this one thing that I could not shift and I just think Mm. if I knew what I know now or just had this extra tool of supplements now like could I just have you back for a little bit I just see if I can fix this one last thing for you like (laughs) like you just have all this and I even know like I've had clients like as like we obviously learn more about the histamine space and the oxalate space and all of these new, mm. new gut spaces that cause chronic bloating or, you know, loose bowels or things like that. And I've even reached out to clients, you know, where we've, again, gotten them so far. And I just said, look, no pressure at all to book a consult. Mm. But I was listening to this the other day or reading some research on this. And I mm. feel like this might actually be something that, you know, could have been you or yeah. is what, if, if this is going on for you. So, and I'll just flick them some information on it with no pressure to book him for a consult. And they're just like, yep, cool, no worries. Let me have a look over that. And, yeah. you know, so I just think, yeah. you know, it's just the more we evolve and learn, you just kind of have those people in your mind that you just didn't get the answers 100% for. Like you got them so far, but there was this little missing link and you're like, this is the missing link <laughs> 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 for your bloating or your loose bowels. <laughs> So what about with testing, right? So with a lot of what we're talking about for us at JCN, we do use a lot of functional testing. Shit, yeah, we do. Cases. <laughs> so as far as those tests go, we have talked pretty extensively about them in the past. Um, stool testing, comprehensive stool testing is a massive one for us at the clinic. Uh, SIBO testing is an, is the other. So they're probably our main two we've talked a lot about. For bloating, and yeah. again, we've got previous podcasts on those, which we'll refer to in the show notes. Um, but I think what we wanted to highlight today, besides those tests themselves, is some of the newer tests um, that are available. And a lot of them, I guess a lot of them do come on as add-ons to this like it doesn't discount these types of foundational tests i think they will continue to be used but we do have newer options coming out all the time which is really really exciting and awesome for us Um, one that i'm actually really excited about getting my hands on but we don't have it in australia yet is with SIBO. there's now a hydrogen sulfide 
tests that you can do. So the states has it. Has Norala we... not got this to Australia yet? I Bloody know, hell, like, Come on, get, get it together. <laughs> Come on, Norala. <laughs> I don't think COVID's helping. No. It's so frustrating. But um, so at the moment with a SIBO test, we can test for hydrogen and methane gas production, which is really important for us as practitioners. So then we know how to treat the SIBO more specifically for the type of bacteria and those gases being produced. But we've also known that there's a hydrogen sulfide element for a while and suspected that that has a really inflammatory uh, effect on the gut. And there's signs of that to date with the way we look at a test and interpret it. Mm. And then even with the um, stool testing, we can see presentations there but it doesn't always mean it's definitely happening in the small intestinal tract so we have this new test soon that enables us to look at that and I think that's a really important one again for chronic cases where um, maybe you've done testing from a stool point of view or even with past SIBO and felt like something's missing um, I think this is going to be one test that's going to be really useful for looking mm. at hydrogen sulfide activity, particularly with SIBO, because it's so inflammatory. It's so, so inflammatory. inflammatory. And there's there's different types of um, symptoms that sometimes you'll see with it that can make you a little bit more suspect about it. But having it as a test yep. is, um, is pretty exciting for us. Yeah. Um, what else do we have that's, that's new? Um, I feel like there's just a lot of, depending on, I can't, I honestly can't remember the last podcast we did about functional stool testing obviously I know we have talked about moving from the old school type of you know stock standard CDSA microbial culturing testing into PCR to stool testing and I feel like since we've probably done that podcast or chatted on our lives that PCR testing is really starting to evolve so mm-hmm. so obviously our top tests that we're using are still the GI effects the GI 360 which is the doctor's data test that's probably the newer one on the radar um, and the PCR testing, all that. But now we're starting to look at all these really cool add-ons like as well. So you can add on um, like mold toxin panels and you can add on, because obviously we're starting, we, well, we know, but we're starting to really be able to test and look into the more systemic reaches of, you know, gut microbiome testing and how that can affect people on a more, you know, um, more widespread level. So we've got, you know, mold panels and things that we can add on. We've got zonulin markers that we can add on. I think the, what are you going to say? I was just going to say, do you want to, with the zonulin, do you want to just mention how that is a good little add on, like as to why? Because that is one that we, we do. Not all the time, but we definitely do add on. Yeah. Particularly, yeah. Because I feel like zonulin's not um, done in, zonulin's done in the GI MAPS testing or the Nutripath GI MAPS yeah. testing, I believe it is, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not actually. It used to be, yeah. yeah. To, I don't know if it I still is. I have done one for a while. And I now know. Me neither. I know that they've added the Oxalobacter and I think Methanobrevi to their panel now. I think, you yeah. know, I've talked about Oxalobacter in their test though, that it's around the wrong way. Maybe, anyway, that's a chat for another day. Um, <laughs> just that, anyway, so zonulin is important because zonulin is kind of like a marker that is raised when you have breakdown, like an actual breakdown to the integrity of those tight gut junctions in the gut, in the gut lining. And there's definitely things that, you know, um, as practitioners, we look for in gut testing, we're looking at how, you know, how compromised is your gut lining? So I, you know, and I know you will be as well. We're looking at our secretory IgA, which is on both tests across the board. We're looking at our our presence and our 
um, you know, overgrowth or undergrowth potentially of Acomantia mucinophila. We're looking at um, our you know, our inflammatory bowel disease markers like our calprotectin, our short chain fatty acid production, but zonulin. So you can kind of get a bit of an idea of how messed up someone's actual gut lining, gut mucosal layer mm. might be from obviously looking at a, a broad range of, you know, these different markers that are on on our test. But the zonulin is kind of like the one that is a, is a really good indicator in terms of like, yeah. okay, are you actually now in that state of where we'd call a dysbiotic or perme perme permeated gut lining where, you know, you yeah, have that permeability, permeability factor is, is a, is a biggie with that as a marker, which can be really, I think very, very useful for us to yeah. see from a practitioner point of yeah. view, as far as that extra level of care that needs to be 100%. implemented there. And I think that's really important too to note, because like when you're treating people that are chronically ill, which we quite often are in the clinic, like, yes, we're working at the gut level, but if you're dealing with someone who has gut permeability and, and an elevation in this zonulin marker, then you're dealing with someone who is systemically affected by the inflammation that's going on in their gut. Like we all are to a degree, but these people are more so. So if you're dealing with someone who's got chronic, chronic autoimmune condition, you don't want their gut lining to be per permeable. You, you're going to have to spend a lot of time mm. at that gut lining level, bringing that zonulin marker back down and hopefully that acomantium eucinophila marker down into a normal range and your secretory IgA up or down depending on where it is and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I feel like it's a good, it's definitely a good marker when you've got a really systemically inflamed person. Mm. And some of these extra add-ons are really useful with testing because they can be done separately mm. so it's really useful instead of always having to spend um a lot of money on a, like a full comprehensive test if you potentially done that to start with down the track what it means is that we can use them independently to get a, a good idea of where you're at so we might get to a point where we're like okay this has been raised before let's just run another zonulin panel and see what comes up so there's, there's those extra tools for us now yep. um, as practitioners, which is really great. Um, there's also the, um, what are they, the new, again, I'm kind of jumping back to the SIBO space, but there's the new, I haven't even used it yet. I think it's called IBS Smart oh, or something that like one that. that. But I it's, forget, what is it? And they can tell straight away if there's an, it's an IBS. Yeah, so it's looking for... It's, it's your anti, they measure the antibodies around um, the, like the antivinculin antibodies. There's two antibodies that are measured and essentially they are looked at as markers for um, damage around more so that migrating motor complex. Yeah, okay. And as far as there being post gastro enteritis like some sort of like um gastro episode that has actually led to that autoimmune it's thought of as being autoimmune disruption of those um uh, those antibodies and and that behavior there so when when that test is run you can see if there is more of a classic post gastroenteritis induced SIBO and if there's been been these um, raised antibodies, then you can be more um, suspect of the damage to the migrating motor complex and therefore the need to support that in your treatment, which again for us as practitioners is super important yeah. because one factor is the bacterial involvement in something like SIBO and getting that under control. But if we know there's been 
damage or disruption to the migrating motor complex, which has a lot to do with, I always say clients like a, a broom movement of sweeping everything along. If that's been damaged, then that has to be supported yeah. um, whilst you're doing treatment, but also after, because often if it's not supported after, that's where SIBO can come back. So it's a another really exciting new test that can be added. And particularly if you've had SIBO and struggled with it and you keep relapsing, like this could be a really important one to get a bit more information about the why. Because I think also if you've, if you've got a practitioner telling you, oh, you need to keep taking this supplement, it's important. But then it's like, well, here's a reason why. Yeah. Like <laughs> it can be more... Um, more incentive for them to go, okay, I need to keep yeah. taking this or I need to keep doing this with my diet or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's true. I actually didn't know. I hadn't even, I know that we all got emails about that test, but I hadn't even looked into what it does yet. So that's pretty cool to know. But yeah. Yeah. I do think yeah. like, I do agree with the, the incentive, like not incentive as to why, but I think I have these conversations, especially in the hormone space, as well as the gut space. Like sometimes you're like the retesting or testing another marker or just having a look at where things are, you know, like the, sometimes the eight to 12 month space, you know, for people that are chronically, you know, inflamed or have a relapse, even with hormones, like obviously, you know, I spent a lot of time with my clients working with you know, like acne and skin conditions and things like that. But there's always a gut element to that. And then you move into the gut element and then there's a reflare of the skin and there's all these little things. And it's like, you know, mm. yeah, I like sometimes it's like I've even started doing a little bit of um, and chatting to a few clients, like just about the genetics of why things happen, like especially with hormones, just as more of an incentive to be like, you just are someone who's going to need to be on maybe like high dose EPA for the foreseeable mm. future for a from a gut perspective but you know cause we know you know how much that really helps at the at the gut lining lps sort of mop up sort of level but if you don't favor you know um a great inflammatory act anti-inflammatory cascade <laughs> if that makes sense mm -hmm. and genetically you're more predisposed to be a more inflamed person then I get that sometimes people don't want to take supplements or don't want to have to do things for the rest of their life, but sometimes to, as a preventative, you need to. Mm. So, and that's mm -hmm. like, obviously, you know, once I've got my clients, a lot of some of my clients to where they really want to be, it's like, okay, well, what do we need to do to keep you here from a lifestyle and supplement point of view? Exactly. And that's where these markers can be good. Even just like with, with like, you know, estrogen, you know, cancer risk in families and stuff like that. Like I've got clients that will just redo a Dutch every 12 months. We do a lot of work yep. and we talk about the genetics and we just like, okay, well, let's just set your body up to, for, so it can be the best it can be. You know, we can't sometimes, yep. we definitely can't change what, you know, future outcomes may be sometimes, but we can definitely do our best to make sure they don't happen and set your body up to be the best it can absolutely be given worst case scenario, but sometimes just rerunning that, even just the hormone panel of the Dutch test and looking at what your 4-hydroxy estrogen is doing every 12 mm. months is a good marker just to keep things in check. And it's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's the same with the gut. Like you can run, your, like if you know you're someone who's predisposed to, you know, gut permeability and you've got an autoimmune condition and all of that and you're just keeping things tightly in check, you can run your, your inflammatory bowel markers and your zonulin every mm. six months or 12 months and just if you start to see raises in this, preempt that and get onto it. Like, Yeah, and even with, with stool testing, obviously there's so much that's still coming from it and, and we're learning and there's, there's these parameters that we look at as far as from high to low and there's a lot of debate about that in our space still but there's nothing better than having your own test results 
and then being able to repeat them after a certain amount of time and being able to compare those results like from the past to future and then again maybe down the track like being able to see more as far as progression there or um, anything that needs continual work or assessment can be really really valuable on an individual level which brings us to you yes i know my dogs are dogs are all deciding they're gonna have a little bark attack now yes so let's let's talk about me because i've been actually talking to a few of my clients about this and everyone's pretty excited that i'm going to do a gut test (laughs) and publicize it on the on on the big wide world of instagram um but essentially like i just you've done the gi360 haven't you yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's right. I knew you had. So I haven't done a gut test since we would we first started using the original doctor's data um, test in the clinic, um, which I think mm-hmm. is probably a, I reckon I'm going to say a good six years ago. So I haven't yeah. put my so it would have just been culturing. culturing there was no PCR, no PCR testing. Yeah. So back in the day, my nemesis nemesises were Klebsiella and yeast. We didn't, and that's pretty much, you know, what we, I think I didn't have any Stitcherbacter or anything like that, but obviously Klebsiella is quite linked with, can be quite linked with, um, you know, certain um, autoimmune conditions. It's definitely um, in the class of some of those methane producers. Um, it can, it's definitely tied in with, yeah, SIBO. Um, anyway, so we did some, I did a gut protocol, blah, blah, blah. And I've been pretty good with my gut since then. Like my gut's pretty well behaved. However, <laughs> the last six months, I have had to throw a fair bit of medication at my gut in terms of NSAIDs, like, but not just like, oh, actually, Nurofen as well. Can you stop, Sally? She's just growling at her cone, everyone. <laughs> um, I've had to throw a fair bit of my, at my gut in terms of, yeah, like um, anti-inflammatories for my back. Um, Valium is a muscle relaxant for my back. Um, I don't think I've had to take too much more than that. But mm-hmm. definitely enough that it has made my gut probably where I would say my gut's always sat around 80 to 90% as good functioning. I reckon it's probably sitting, I'm going to say 60 to 70%, which is obviously not mm-hmm. optimal for us nutritionists. And it's not yep. something like I feel like I, I could probably sort it out without doing a test, but I'm, I'm so keen to have a look at what's actually going on and sort it out properly. Mm, absolutely. Which is yep. so cool. So I'm going to do a... GI three sixty test, and then Jess and I are going to what are we what are we actually going to do? We're going to do a live <laughs> do a live about it once I have the results, so you guys can all see how fucked up my gut is. Um, yeah, yeah, we're going to do we're basically going to break down Chris's results yeah, and just so you can see what's going on, and obviously we'll talk more in depth about like what's been going on in prior to that, as she's just highlighted there. But then what we're going to do is get started on some work for her gut with any supplements and obviously dietary changes and then we're going to (laughs) retest she's freaked out because she knows we're going to pull her off (laughs) (laughs) b-e-r no i'm not like (laughs) i don't think i can give up beer on my weekend no. But we want to, as we were just talking about, we're going to retest. So we're going to give her to probably spell it out like I'm a child. B double E-R. So true. So depending on how she responds, we'll give her maybe three months absolute minimum. But realistically, with gut retesting, you should give it six months, twelve months. But we want to show you retesting, and we can talk to 
her at points as we go mm. regarding progression, how she's feeling, what she's doing. So we really want to give you a good behind the scenes um, on the process and, and what's involved. And I, so I think the reason I want to do it too is because, A, we don't sit on the other side of the fence here as nutritionists claiming to have perfect guts like at all yeah. like I think there's a running yeah. joke that anytime any of us have done a gut test <laughs> we just we just all take the piss out of each other because we're like how <laughs> um, I know Emma's was one of the most colorful gut tests we've ever seen when she did hers yeah. but she was suffering like a lot of fatigue at the time I definitely yeah. think um I'm so keen to see an, an improvement in, you know, I've, I'm doing a lot of lifestyle stuff to work with my cortisol levels and and all of that, but I'm definitely so interested to see what changes I can make with, um, you know, just my energy. Like I feel pretty good on a day-to-day -day basis, but I know I could, again, know I could feel better because I felt better. Yeah. And I think that's the thing where it's like when you start, even just for us healthy folk, not people who are, con you know, compromised to, you know the eighth and tenth degree you know that usually come through our clinic doors like even for us healthy people who you know have a pretty well functioning gut like i don't get i don't get really get bloating i don't really get gas um my bowel motions have definitely probably on the slower end since having to use a lot of these medications over the last few months um, my energy is good most days. I definitely could feel a little bit better though. So I just kind of feel like I have slipped as a health, like a, an inverted commas, healthy person, but a person who, you know, looks mm. after themselves, exercises well, it does the right things from a food perspective. Yes, I have a couple of beers on the weekend, which we'll chat about whether or not I'm going to give up. Um, <laughs> but... But I just, I guess the thing I wanted to highlight is that they, I feel like gut testing is for everybody. And I feel like, yeah. you know, we too, I also want people to see that, you know, you, we have to go through the process as well. Like I know you do a lot of work on your gut, you know, off and mm -hmm. on as she needs it. Your gut's definitely a lot more temperamental yep. than mine when she wants to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, yep. Because <laughs> Jess just likes to poison herself all the time. <laughs> she just aims to fuck up her zonulin marker. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but like I just think too like so people can see what the antimicrobial process is like and just you know yes you're gonna feel a bit shitty doing this and I'll talk about that and we can talk about you know like different you know the introduction stages of different antimicrobials and how that feels and yeah anyway I'm just mm -hmm. I'm excited to do it because I think it'll be good for everyone to kind of see how much information you get out of a gut test even for someone exactly. who's got a pretty well functioning gut and you know lives a you know most like pretty like healthy lifestyle like i think even you know if my gut's going to need work then i feel like it might be a nice avenue for anyone who's just like oh well i don't have any really bad symptoms i don't really need to do a gut test well nutritionist is going to do one so you guys can as well <laughs> <laughs> and i think what it'll do which is just to sort of finish off we want to be able to highlight the treatment protocols yeah. around this space so as far as bloating specifically, um, even though, as you just said, it's not a major for no. you, let's sort of just finish off with talking about how we would look at supporting and obviously treating bloating. And I obviously I say that with recognition of everything we've just said with, with testing and full case taking and understanding the complexities of what's driving bloating because it's not a, usually a singular thing. There's, it's multifactorial. So we're going to have to look at lots of different elements to get on top of bloating. And sometimes the bloating can be the first thing to disappear 
when you start working with gut issues. And then other times, as Carissa even highlighted with one of her past clients, it can be the trickiest area and the last to go. So everything else um, systemically can be resolved and bowels and all these other factors, but the bloating can be the stubborn area. So I think first, as far as treatment around bloating, it's understanding that it is complex at times and it can definitely take time. I think that the gut almost um, gets used to a certain pattern and a certain behavior, which is another massive area in this as far as that brain-gut connection and neural feedback and certain pathways that just are so commonly triggered that it's almost like it's a, a, an automatic reaction. Yep. But I think number one is definitely understanding the underlying causes of the bloating. Find out why and then from there, obviously, you can ideally with a practitioner start to look at an action treatment plan to deal with the bloating and the underlying cause. But the other couple of things I just wanted to touch on before we finish was that often with bloating can be a lot of need for lifestyle changes and stress support. Um, it's a big area, again, that we see at the clinic where people are really, really stressed out. Their lifestyle's super busy. They're eating on the go. Um, I've got a few clients, so even in the last six months, where before doing any testing, I've realistically said look as far as foundational dietary changes I need you to make these foundational lifestyle changes before I'm going so to do any testing important. and you know what it's been profound the difference by me putting my foot down a bit more with a few people and saying you need to do these changes too I've seen not resolution but I've seen some really good reductions yep. in their symptoms just by getting on top of not eating on the go, eating on less stressful conditions, taking time out, just being more mindful with their food and food intake. So don't underestimate I think this that's area such as a well. Good point. Like I think I yeah, like I feel like there's a lot of people too that they're like you said, like then <laughs> idiot just fell off the bed. Um, their, 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 their lifestyles are just so busy that there's just no way that can accommodate, um, you know, healthy yep. and good gastrointestinal function and it, gastrointestinal tract function. And it's just, yes, we understand everyone has busy lives and, oh my God, it's like having a two-year-old that's just, <laughs> I'm getting bombarded by my cone-headed dog, everyone. Um, but yeah, yes, everyone has busy lifestyles, but you have to, you have to really just kind of work work with what you can work with and work out where you can make some changes like like we're like obviously you know even in our new clinic space like you know we've got this beautiful little lounge room area where we have to make a conscious effort that we're not just going to sit at our desk and chow through work while we eat like we have to yeah. remove ourselves from that and go and sit down and eat and I do that when I'm working from home like I go upstairs yeah. I, for half an hour and I, do, I go and sit in the sun I sit on my stairs or I sit yeah. outside with my dogs and I sit down and I eat my lunch I don't take it down to my desk and chow through my food and just keep working mm -hmm. I'm like no half an hour go up make your lunch all my food preps in the fridge the same as what it would be if I was going into work on an office day but you've got to be willing to make those changes as well because like we can do all the testing and throw all the supplements and do all the gut work but so much of this is so much of it is lifestyle and stress too yeah it's huge. And the last area that can be helpful is enzymes. We mentioned right at the start about poor enzyme secretion. So sometimes the use of enzymes 
um, as a supportive mechanism, particularly if you are a really stressy person, can be advantageous to take with meals. But please be aware that like it's only one piece of the puzzle majority of the time. They can be a, a really good aid, particularly, you know, if it's something that you want to try or there are obviously brands out there that you can buy even retail wise that can help a little bit. But generally, your chronic bloating is not most likely going to be just about whacking some yeah. enzymes into your system. But I, I think they're worth mentioning because of, of what we've talked about. The other one that sometimes, I don't know, I think this is more prevalent now that people play around with is different types of binders, things like charcoal and bentonite clays and so forth. They can help with bloating symptoms. Um, they do help kind of, to use your term before, mop up toxins, um, and people can feel better on them. But again, majority of the time, one, they're not dealing with the problem. Um, they're just kind of symptom controlling to a point. And also you do need to be cautious with them because they can cause constipation if they're not taken correctly. And you need to be careful when you're taking them in the day with what supplements and where you're taking them around food as far as minerals are concerned. So there are things that people do use that we wanted to highlight that can be effective, but most of the time they're going to be more about controlling your symptoms, which brings us back to just get un into the underlying cause. <laughs> like yeah. it'll be the best thing that you ever did. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Like I think, and that, just bring it back to me doing my gut testing is I could, I could probably hundred yeah. percent micromanage this myself. Like, and just go, Oh, I'll just take some, you know, one of my, you know, a good supplement that I know that is just good sometimes, like just to clean up some, you know, LPS production and just maybe run some antimicrobials through my gut quickly. And I, and I mm -hmm. could probably sort it out pretty quickly, but I, in three months, I'd probably be feeling back to how I wasn't quite sluggish and, you know, just with my gut knowing that it probably needs, given what it's had thrown at it from a, um, you know, like a bit of a pharmaceutical point of view over like probably since the start of the year on and off, and especially acutely in the last sort of, you know, eight weeks eight to 12 weeks like just get in and do it properly yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right well we're going to finish it up there so thanks heaps everyone for joining us if you've got any questions about this particular topic obviously you can dm us through our socials or you can always email the clinic um, with our awesome friendly reception team yep <laughs> Other than that, if you loved this podcast, please head to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to share this on your socials as well. Perfect. But otherwise, have an awesome weekend ahead and we will chat to you soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Chat soon. Bye. <laughs>